This is getting better and better. Well, Lynn, we're excited to have you. Uh, thanks for, for joining us on the podcast. You know, Miles has spoken very highly of you. And we typically like to start the podcast by utilizing just kind of our kickoff question. And we've we've used a few different kickoff questions over the episodes. Uh, but the one I'd like to hear from you uh, to kick it off is, what is making you laugh today, Elaine? Oh, my dogs. <laughs> That's a first. Dogs, Tell us about dogs the dogs. And my students. <laughs> That's, they're, they're not and, one in the same. Well, I get up and the dogs are right there. So dogs and then okay. students. Um, dogs, what are the dogs doing to make you laugh? Being dogs. They're silly. They're just <laughs> okay. joy. They're full of joy. Um, okay. They like every. I have Australian shepherds. They have a big sense of humor. They're, they are huge. huge, beautiful dogs. They're, well, they're 65 nice. pounds. That's sort of medium. <laughs> <laughs> and they're beautiful. And there's my uncle calls them my smart dogs. What are your smart dogs doing today? Oh, and that's great. they're both old, um, but they both are pretty spry. So they make you laugh every day. Oh, many times a day, every day. <laughs> well, that's great. They, they are they the bringers of joy. They throw me a party every time I walk in a door. <laughs> I, could, you know, I could sit out the garage, go get something, bring it in, and they're like, woohoo, here you are. So, you know. That's awesome. It's funny you say they throw you a party every time you come in. Years ago, um, and I'm not a big fan of this song. I never really got into it, but I thought it, the lyrics were fairly funny. When Lady Gaga sang the song, I Live for the Applause, um, my kids had that plane one time when I walked in the house and I said, yeah, I live for the applause. And they, were, they laughed. And so then I said, no, really, I live for the applause. Like, I want to hear you clap when I come in the door. So they <laughs> laughed and they clapped. But then for I don't know how many years afterwards, every time I would come home from work, I would walk in the door and I would get massive applause wherever they were. If they would hear the garage door open, um, my kids would come running and give me applause. So. More people should they, tell their uh, kids that, right? Because they know it's right, like, right. Dogs, yeah, it felt great right every away. time. It, dogs my, just my, do that all the time, right? My older Aussie, when she comes in, she actually will stand there and stand at the door until I'm like, "Yay, Willow, come on in!" Because they <laughs> throw me a party, I should throw them a party. But how cool that you told them that and they got that because that's right, really right. what that's really what we all want to do is to be greeted. Exactly. Yeah, right? we all want that party that we come come into. Yeah, we all, we all want to be acknowledged and recognized and greeted and feel part of whatever the hell kind of crazy is going on. Yeah, yeah I'd like to see how well yeah. that would go over if I told Tiago every time I come to your house, I want to be greeted like that. I'd love to see how that went over. But <laughs> I, knowing I'll that he him. wouldn't, I will tell him. He's got a dog. Abby and Abby pretty much applauds every time I walk in the house. She grabs his mm. shoe. Her tail is wagging. You can see her through the glass, and she's just waiting for me to come in. Just that tail's wagging. Miles, come on in, come on in. And then she jumps all <laughs> over me. It doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> That's great. Well, and there we have it, folks. Uh, we've got dogs applauding and making us laugh tonight. And uh, we want to, with that, we want to welcome you to the Evolve Podcast, a podcast that disrupts your life to spark growth and evolution. Podcasting in his cave in Oberlin, Ohio. 
a resident intellectual himself, and Miles, you've got more hair than you used to I, have. I'm letting w it grow. Miles Riley is letting his hair grow. Welcome, Miles. I'm letting it grow. <laughs> <laughs> and in the mountains of Utah, I am Steve Cutler. And guys, we are really fortunate tonight to be joined by Elaine Barnes. Uh, Elaine has been a teacher and a molder of young minds for 27 years. She did her doctoral work at the Ohio State University and a bachelor's degree at, now, Elaine, I know I'm going to butcher this, Otterbein? It's Otterbein. Otterbein, thank you. I knew I was going to butcher it, so thank you for the correction. In Westerville, Ohio. Uh, the students that sit before her come from all backgrounds and communities. She currently is a teacher of mathematics and physics in the Cleveland uh, public school system. And Elaine's life has not always been a smooth path of becoming a teacher and evolution. Elaine realized early on in life that she would have to carve out her own path and be guided by her own internal compass. She's evolved many times through many in incarnations uh, to arrive at a place in her life where she is educating young minds and getting the students to realize their own evolutionary journey. Elaine Barnes, thank you so much for joining us. We are excited to have you today. Thank you, Steve. It's nice to be here with you and Miles. Yeah, well, and Steve made my writing sound really good. Could you do that again? <laughs> I just tweaked a couple of things. I, was like, I could tell that maybe there was an edible uh, that had been taken <laughs> when it was written. Well, Lane, I want to I want to jump right in um, and talk before we go into your personal in, uh, evolution. I think one of the things that has been on the mind of the entire country um, with this COVID nineteen pandemic is what has happened to teachers and students during this time. Um, so I'd love to just dive in and talk about some of the things that you had to adapt to as a teacher over the past year and a half. I mean, you and all of the students literally had the rug pulled out from under you and you, you had to live in a completely different world. So what were some of the largest challenges, Elaine, that you had to deal with uh, when the pandemic struck? I'm going to be brief on each and then you can ask me follow-up questions anytime. Beautiful. Um, Great. The first one was right after the pandemic, uh, right after the governor of Ohio closed schools on March 13th. March 13th, um, that was the last day we were in school. I went from a full set of freshmen that I was working with in physical science to students that were all virtual, that didn't have maybe the technology, that did everything. And the biggest challenge there was making sure that the kids were okay because they went from a really active social and school life to being mm. at home and not all the students had the optimal situations at home and um, being able to reach out to them when nobody could really reach out to anyone when we went back to school in the fall the school district i was working with was uh, in a situation where we could have hybrid classes. So we could have most of our students in the classroom. They were divided, divided over two days and um, still have virtual students. So every one of my classes had live students and virtual students. And okay. my biggest concern was making sure that the virtual students felt like they were part of something. The other thing was I had five 
five classes that were that were split in half over two days. So I essentially taught the same physics lecture 10 times. Oh my gosh. What wow. you don't realize as a teacher is that once you do the same thing 10 times in about 36 hours, your brain thinks you've actually gone nuts. What a great definition or a great explanation of it. <laughs> I can imagine. I, you know, I, like, Elaine, I've spoken to large groups for several years doing everything from uh, leadership development, coaching, and motivational speaking. And there are certain stories that I have had to rotate through and retire because. Like you, I felt like I was going nuts telling the same story over and over again, but I can only imagine doing it 10 times in 36 hours. Like wow. You start, you start at eight o'clock in the morning, the next day at two, you're done. And you're like, your brain is like, what did you just do? Are you crazy? <laughs> so that, that was it. And, and I was told I was one of the better teachers at making the students at home feel like they were part of the classroom. Oh, and, beautiful. And now... I'm teaching in Cleveland schools. I was in a suburban school then. And Cleveland okay. schools were mostly not in the classroom from March 13th, 2020 until now. Wow. So I've had okay. juniors who were freshmen at the time, barely freshmen, still acting like they were in middle school. And so I got a bunch of 16 to 18 year olds because our kids are a little bit older, acting like they're 12. Mm. And maybe regressing further. They've forgotten all the math they've known. And, and they're all over the spectrum in terms of capability. And so my, my job now is to bring them up to learning some math together. And that's, that's a whole different ballgame. I was telling Steve, so, I saw your post where you said, what is it? I taught math all day today or I taught <laughs> math for the past five days? <laughs> I, taught, I taught all math to Five right. classes, all math. <laughs> it was the first what, time. What a challenge. Oh. To, to catch people up. So so before we talk about the catch up, though, I want to talk a little bit about what you're talking about with the split class and then also some of the students staying at home. I love what you said where you're saying that you had to focus and make sure that the kids were doing okay. Because I, I do think that that was something that um, as the old adage goes, no one cares what you know until they know that you care. Right. And it, during that time, that's a very difficult time for the kids. I, I just look at what the, uh, effect that it had on my kids. And yeah. my daughter was very active with getting on zoom calls and doing homework with friends. My son would do that a little bit less. So, and it was just those days where it was like, it was really heavy for them. And I think that the, it was totally bleak. It was bleak. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for my kids that were that that I know now in Cleveland schools, those kids, some of them worked full time, had to turn all their money over to their parents. Some of them were abused. Some wow. of them were there was sexual abuse. Some yeah. of them were left alone to fend for themselves. Some of them had no food. If nobody could get to school to pick up the food, because the district did a good job of putting food for all the Title I kids, and most kids in Cleveland are Title I, so they get free breakfast and lunch. Right, gotcha. So, okay. you know, the concern was the first um, was, are they eating? Are they okay? Are they... I, my, kid, my students, who especially were not part of the... In my suburban block when we first started so just making sure that everyone is okay and i develop a pretty good relationship with the students um 
but just reaching out to them, reaching out to their parents, communicating with our counselors at the school yeah. and making sure yeah. everybody sort of knows what's going on and everybody, my big thing was communicating what I was seeing um, and asking the students in different ways how they are, that they might, that they, mm. in ways they would respond to. I had one student who continuously said to to me, the only response was, I miss your class. Oh, yeah. And that. That can be heartbreaking. It, it's, it's, it's like letting, it, it's letting you know that they're not so much doing okay at home. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And that's, and, or, or a dad who contacted me and said, you know, he's not, he, he I'm really concerned about how he's doing. Yeah. And they're, there aren't a lot of there isn't a lot of immediate support for teenagers who are going through stuff. There isn't a lot of immediate support for adults who are going through stuff. No, but, but I think that teenagers, um, Elaine, and, and you know, correct me if if you see it different, but teenagers that that's the time of life where almost more so than any other time where you want to be social. You need that. It, it, you're, that is part of your social development. And so the lockdowns were so difficult. Now, regardless of all of the debates with the pandemic, should we have locked certain things down? Should we have not? Should we have masked vaccines? Like set all of those things aside. The one thing that I think people would agree with is that we did our absolute best relative to taking care of kids and trying to do our best for the kids. And I've seen so many teachers doing their absolute best, but what a tough time for the kids emotionally, mentally, uh, physically, what a difficult time for them to be yeah. locked out of that school there, situation. There, there's no, I truly believe everybody does their best given what they, given the information they have and what they know and what they do and who they are. And I truly believe that. It doesn't always make me happy what their best is, but I truly believe that they, they do the best given who they are. And we did across the country the best we knew for the kids and tried to make the best palatable for them yeah. because yeah. so many of them lost so much during that time, whether it was the suburban kids who had all these activities and all this stuff or the inner city kids who had the interaction outside of their homes that was so important to them and the learning that they were doing. But I think that's, I think that's true. I think we did the best. And I think the kids nonetheless had this year and a half where it was crazy. And so like in my classes every day, I'll tell them, you know, we're, we're, we're doing math. We're doing, elementary school, middle school review, because so much of them have lost so much. I'm like, this is, mm. this is no judgment. This is just where we are. Yeah, and I know yeah, you guys, yeah, yeah. and I remind them all the time that I know that this was, a, I would never wish this on anyone, let alone being a teenager is hard enough, let alone having to go through a pandemic while yeah. you're a teenager. And the other yeah, thing is, one of the things time. that really, made me a little frustrated and opened my eyes was how people responded. You know, you guys talking about how people um, did their very best with the circumstances that they were under. And I think a lot of people, what frustrated me, forgot was we had never been in a situation like this ever. Right. So 
everything was improvised. Everything was, oh, let's try this. Let's do this. Let's try that. This, this might not work. This will work. We, we were in such an improvisational place because we had never experienced this as a society ever. And I got frustrated for the people who thought they knew everything, whether it was on either side of the aisle, instead of coming out and saying, we don't know, we're going to try things. But right. it was just that frustrating that, again, we were just improvising because we had never seen this before. And Miles, we're still there. We're yeah, still there. yeah, we, we like, are. We are. We've never yeah. seen, we've never seen, now we have kids and, and they're on this program where you go bump, 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 A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and then graduate. And now mm. we had kids who for a year and a half were, were, were mostly studying online and mostly and mainly going and looking out the window. <laughs> right, staring out the window, yeah. Who's going to make me do it? In their teeth, yeah. their prefrontal cortex is going, nah. <laughs> <laughs> or the, com- the computer is up, and maybe yeah. the class is on, but Fortnite is is what's really well, happening. Fortnite's over here on this computer. Yeah, Like yeah. I had a kid all year last year who was on Fortnite all year. Yeah, he had, yeah. You could tell... And he just sat there with the biggest grin on his face and just pretended like everything was going smooth. And that's what he did all year. Yeah. Well, I like Alicia and I had these tremendous debates. Go ahead, Steve. I was just going to say, I agree. And, and this is something Miles and I have talked about ad nauseum, um, not even on the podcast, just in our, our regular conversations that, you know, how, how great would it be if a health official, if a, um, administrator of the education got up and just said, Hey, we really don't know what the hell we're doing. We're just doing our best. We're trying to make decisions with the information we have, right. and we're trying to do our best that way. But what bothers me is when you've got the critics that look in hindsight and say, well, we should have done this. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Marty McFly. If you would have had the time machine, that would have been helpful. And then on the other side, you have these people who walk in and talk as if they're super confident that they know what the future is going to be. And nobody there is Nostradamus that really knows what the best way is. And so why not just be real and raw and say, hey, we're doing our best. We are going to adapt right. and we're going to change. And, and I, I will say this, like the, the school district, the schools that my kids go to, I think they've done a phenomenal job of of doing that and saying we are taking things as they come. We're going to adapt. We're going to change as we get more information. But we really don't know how to handle this. We're just right. doing our best. The school, the two school districts I've worked with one ultra suburban, one one an ex suburban school, and one an inner city school um, have done a good job of communicating to some extent to their staff it's that way and to the community mm. it's that way okay i okay. found myself as a non long as a as a new high school teacher as a new person part of the union as a 55 year old 53 to 55 year old woman coming in the classroom being mm. real straightforward with my students and i was the only i was one of the only people and so i would go in and say you know they would say, my students would say, why are we doing this? It seems like we better to do that. And of course, I've, I've got juniors and seniors who are pretty savvy with things in some mm-hmm. in some ways. So they've got a lot of questions and they'll be like, well, this is what the school district decided to do now. 
Do I think it's the best thing? Maybe yes, maybe no, depending on the circumstances. But this is what we're told to do. We're going to do it now, see how it works. This is what we're doing. Nobody knows what's going on. And so I was real honest with them, which gave yeah. them a real comfortable place mm. to be in to vent. And I think it's important to be honest with your constituents and your clients, your parents and your teachers and the staff. Right. Right. But it's even more, it's, it's important to be honest with the kids because being honest with the kids, no matter what's going on, if it has to do with a pandemic, if it has to do with state tests, if it has to do with what's going on in your classroom and what you decide to do, whatever it is that's going on, being straightforward with, the, with the, the students in your class, the people, the humans that are in your classroom and treating them, them like humans who can understand what's going on makes a difference in terms of them just sort of going with it. And yeah, I, would say, yeah. I would say to them, you know, nobody knows what's, this is, this is a mess. This is, this is something we've never dealt with before. And we're trying to do the best things. We'll change courses we, as, 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 information shows up they've made a decision this is what we're going to do if it doesn't work we'll do something else if it ends up hurting the classroom i'll modify it in such a way that we can we can do our we can we can have our class within the guidelines trust me i'll tell you what's going i'll tell you the truth you can ask me any question i'll tell you the truth well and, and i we, love that perspective not only just in in school i think it's a phenomenal perspective oh, in life everywhere. right but it's so important with teenagers because teenagers are at this weird spot in life they they think they know everything which they don't but they have the best bullshit meter of any uh any age in my <laughs> mind they can sniff out bullshit quicker than anybody else because they haven't been through and been conditioned by a system you know they don't work in corporate america they're not conditioned by um the uh, higher educational system and so they can sniff out bullshit very quickly and they're like and yeah that, that like, doesn't why smell is this, right this, why is this way why is this, these rules this way this doesn't make any sense and they'll be the yeah. first one to say yeah. why, why do i have to do this that's their whole prefrontal cortex growth Right, right. Yeah. And I think that they are they, that approach that you're talking about of just being completely direct with them to say, yeah, we don't know, but we're going to adapt and we're going to change. So, so Elaine, I want to talk a little bit now that you're, you've got more kids in class now, it sounds like, uh, and you're having to do some of this catch up work. What else has changed or adapted about your teaching style or philosophy? coming post-pandemic. And I, I understand we're not completely post-pandemic because I know some uh, places throughout the country are starting to shut down again. Well, before you answer that, before you answer that, just, I want to add something to it because Elena and I talk a lot. And one of the things that I love about Elena is she's not afraid to do a 180 to, to shift course to, to get the best out of her students. And like, mm. it's, she's a, cool ability to improvise, to say, okay, this is not working. Let's step outside of the mythos, rearrange some things, and then come back and let's see if that works. So I want you to address that while you address what Steve was talking about. Thank you, Miles. I appreciate you saying that. That's really sweet, kind of you. Um, yeah, good point. I, so I'm going to contrast the two different situations since they are so different. In, at Avon schools, I basically had to 
teach physics in a way that, um, and I was teaching physics there because I just said I was teaching physics. So I was teaching physics. I'm going to stop there before I go. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I could go on with that for a while. So if I get stuck in a fugue, stop me. But um, I so you were teaching physics. I was teaching physics and while teaching Thank you. physics, Thank you. I had to come up with a way where my kids from home, if, if I was going to do a demonstration, my kids from home could enjoy it while my kids and students did it. So I was constantly okay. thinking about how can we do different things so that we can do them at home and do them in the classroom. So I was completely MacGyvering things. I'm using plates and marbles, mm. and rubber bands and things. I would send lists of regular, I would, I would, so my brother has been with me through the pandemic for a series of reasons I won't. And my brother's also very creative. And, and okay. we would go out and we would literally go sit with a few people in Oberlin who would go out and visit. And I'd say, okay, I'm gonna do an experiment. I wanna do X, Y, and Z. What do I need to do it? And like my brother and I would shoot it around. Miles would, my, I would run into Miles sometimes. I would run into other people. And I literally, brought like kitchen mechanics to the classroom for physics <laughs> i love that <laughs> Just, oh i love this and i had to at one point i decided that the kids were going to teach themselves conservation of energy and i had virtual students and i had to teach my in-class students how to teach them how to bring the how to care for the virtual students as they had them on their computers on a zoom meeting because i would put them in zoom breakout rooms and they would have okay. to care for these people as if they were in a classroom. So you don't just flop your computer around and walk through the room with your person flailing around. Mm -hmm. You give them tasks and you help them. And I developed whole new labs so they could do this. So this so was you're literally doing physics experiments that are split between these different rooms and these kids are doing this stuff at home. And the kids are in the experiments. So each different room is doing the same experiment. And okay. Room okay. Has kids at home too, that they brought into the classroom. And, and I've got certain things that kids at home can do and they have to care for each other. And the kids at home, I had to have a talk with them and say, you need to speak up if you have problems. And my kids in the classroom, I'm like, dudes, you're in charge. These are your people. You need to care for them like you're like you're you your need family. Care for them. You're responsible. Yeah, they feel like they're and they started gently carrying them around. And we were doing, I'm not even gonna go, we were doing we made in in five degree weather outside water balloon Galilean cannons that they're bringing these wow. <laughs> And you're talking five degree Oberlin, Ohio weather, which is humid as hell. So that is Cold. Like a hundred degrees, negative a hundred degrees. <laughs> so, so, so that was in, in Avon, it was like how to figure out how to teach so that my kids at home could see what I was doing. And my kids in the classroom could see what I was doing. And everybody got the same experience of a decent class and being, being concerned that I would lose the kids at home, but I'm so hyper vigilant that I didn't. And that hyper vigilance worked out for me in, in Cleveland what has changed is my kids have regressed so much that I literally had to start teaching an 11th grade math class that's supposed to be statistics and algebra two with algebra and, and arithmetic with, 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 with basic, basic classes and algebra rules. Wow. Okay. And so 
really stepping back into old stuff that the kids were confused about because they hadn't paid attention to it in a year and a half and yeah. they lost it. Yeah. They lost everything they had. And so now I've got this, this strata of kids that's really diversified in each class and trying yet. And at the same time, none of them are where they should be. All of them are at least a year or two behind where they should be wow. based on what they, what, what they would have been learning. And, and so, I think about what those long-term ramifications for these kids are going to be. I, although I do, I am optimistic and I think that, you know, we as a society, I go back to what Darwin learned years and years ago. It's not the evolution of the species from the strongest that survive, but the most adaptable. And I believe uh, in the adaptability of the human race. And I just, I uh, hope and pray these kids can catch up. Well, what I think is, if there's a, it's not really a silver lining, but it's everybody who is involved in the education system realizes that over the last two years, the students have. I even I even worry about my AP students who got fours and fives on the AP physics exam who are going into college right now because they mm. haven't been in a real class in two years, and yeah, good point. They're. That's Kiko having a bark about. I apologize about that. <laughs> we'll say hi to Kiko. But we we but they were even worried about what it was going to feel like to go to college and what it was going to be like and if they were right. going to have a real year. And these two years of the pandemic are are impacting people. My my hope is and my plan is as a teacher. To, which has always been, this has never changed. I accept my students at where they are. Not all people who teach college or high school accept the students where they are. And my point, my perspective has always been accept them where they are and bring them up. But my biggest concern is that, but also what I think is that everyone went through this together we all across the world went through this together everybody yeah. knows that the last year and a half has not been okay for most of us yeah. i mean those of us it's a great point though and and you do hope that these teachers as they get into the upper education levels will look at that and say hey we we were all in this together and they probably need some more of a refresher course Okay. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. This is something that has hit us all and it's adapt or we, we've all had to adapt to it. Yeah. And that's, and that, and that's it. And there's been lots of adapt adaptation from my ways of teaching, but just my ways of, my ways of, of being human with the students, because the most mm. important thing when you're teaching high school is to be like, like you said, they're, they're both, they've got a bullshit barometer that beats not that, beat, yeah. that beats everyone's. And right. so my, the best thing I can do coming in the classroom is be human with them. Yeah. I love that. So Elaine, I think you've done a phenomenal job of painting this picture of the challenge that we've had. But I know the pandemic has not been the only thing in your, uh, you know, almost three decade career of teaching, right? Uh, you, you've had many, many highs in that, I'm sure. Uh, talk, talk a little bit about what some of the most rewarding aspects of teaching are for you. It's the small moments. 
it's a really, really small moment. Like I would say a moment that I won was last year in, in Avon when I was teaching physics. I brought a lot of things from home into the classroom. I used all the things that hadn't been used in years. Is this the box? <laughs> this is the box. <laughs> is this the box? What's the box? We yes, hear, we tell the box. the box. This is actually a really good box. story. Yeah, this is the so, box. <laughs> so this we had we it was it was May, and um, I was I had general physics and AP physics, and my AP physics classes took third test on May fifth. And I was wrapping up teaching elect, uh, teaching circuits with my general physics classes because it wasn't required for the state. And we were gonna do some other things once everybody came back together. And I had had a bunch of bulbs and batteries in the, in the classroom, little laboratory bulbs and batteries. And I had brought also some you know, those uh, porcelain light fixtures that go on the ceiling and you screw the light bulb in and pull the, pull the string down. And oh, I yeah. brought one right. that actually had, had, had inner ceiling wire still wired to it that had been cut off so they could see the thickness of that. And, okay. and I had done a bunch of things and I was starting to pack the things I brought up, I brought from home in a box. And I still had all of the little tiny one volt batteries that are in these little tiny screw sockets and little double A batteries and their connectors on the tables. And my AP class, my first AP class came in and, and before they came in and, and before I even got started, they started putting things together before class even started and we weren't gonna do class because it was a relaxed day. They started putting bulbs and batteries together. And they're like, Miss Barnes, do you think we can light all these bulbs with these batteries? And I'm like, I bet you can. Mm. And then a few minutes later, and I'm picking up my stuff from around the room, and I'm just going to let them go for the full hour and do whatever they want to do, because they just they just took their AP test the day before. So okay. all no right. class, no structure, no nothing. Whatever we wanted to do, we do. A small class, maybe in that class, there were 10 students in the first in the morning. And the, the, the 10 students that are there, do you have others online then? I had three online. And 10. Okay. Okay. And, and um, it was a really small class. AP physics, not a whole lot of them. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> not so they're easy arguing about like one of the students is like, if you put enough batteries here, you're going to blow up the light bulb and they're arguing and I'm putting things, I'm organizing things in the classroom. And um, one of my students, Jeremy says, Miss Barnes, do you think we can light up this with these batteries? And he lifted up one of those LED Edison bulbs, the ones that are old fashioned. Oh yeah, with the yeah. In love them those. Yep. And then I said, I don't know if you have enough batteries here to do that, but it might be a dimmable bulb. And if it's dimmable, you might be able to light it up. And they had um, the big wires coming off of the bottom of it. They didn't know how to, they were trying to hook it all up. And I took the wires off. And I walked away and I turned around because it was, they had the ceramic thing and the bulb. And I said, and, and this big like household size bulb. And I turned around and I said, Jeremy, 
did you take that out of my box? Because I had mostly packed a box up with stuff to go home, but it was still sitting on the lab bench. Okay. And he okay. said, he said, yeah, Miss Barnes, I did. And you taught us that if we saw a box of interesting things in it, we should open it up and look and see what they could do with it. Oh, that's great. And I turned around and I looked at him and said, yeah, I did. Yeah. And I turned yeah. around and I said to myself, I won. That's awesome. So that is that, awesome. It, it's, the, it's the moments like that where you're like, because that's what I... In my class, we had this bowling ball that hang from, hung from the ceiling because oh, one okay. day during professional development, our school was under construction a little bit and there was a contractor out in the hallway who was working on rewiring the, the, the smoke alarm system. And, and it was professional development. There were no kids in the building. And I walked up to him knowing very well what kind of answer I would get. And I said, hi. I'm Elaine Barnes. I teach in the class around the corner physics. And I'm thinking of hanging a bowling ball from a ceiling and I peeled back the drop ceiling and all I saw were duct work and water pipes. And it doesn't seem like a good idea to hang this from the water pipe. <laughs> I would he went, let me come look. I knew that would be the response. And he got up on the ladder and he said, I've got tap cons. If you bring me a hook, I'll put a hook up there. I said, oh, that's great. Would you put a hook in every physics classroom? So when he came and he hung this and he put the hook in, and then one of my colleagues who was really tall put the put the line in and we hung the bowling ball. My kids were like, How'd you get them to do that? I'm like, I asked. There was a guy in the hallway, and that's what I taught him. And I'd be like, Oh, we need such and so. Let me go around the building and see what I can find. I've got a key, I can go in people's classrooms and see what they have. So you know, that's what I taught them. But but really, that's the scientific exploration, right? That's oh, part of the scientific sure. method. And, I, and that's uh, one of my questions that I wanted to ask you tonight was how, what, if you were to talk to parents and encouraging parents and coaching them, teaching them how to get their kids in, interested in STEM, um, in, in the scientific areas, you know, what, what, what should they do? I love what you're talking about. It really is just this curiosity. It's teaching them to look it, it's, what's it, in the box. It, it's teaching them to look at what's in the box. It's teaching them. And what I started, what I always start with, it's teaching them to master the obvious. It's teaching them to look and see what's mm. there. And it's teaching them to be curious about things. Yes. Curiosity, yeah. curiosity is the first piece, is, 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 is the core. And the other piece that is core or maybe near, maybe the second layer to the core is, is asking what and why. So we've got this, we've got this curiosity piece and we teach science and math and things as though there's a perfect answer and you need to be correct. Our right, kids right. are mostly afraid of being wrong, mm -hmm. but science is about when you're wrong, that's the, coolest thing yeah so yeah now what we need to do is we need to be curious we need to learn to ask questions and we need to be comfortable learning to the skills and being wrong you know if parents are wanting their kids to fit in a small box and not be not ask questions about the weird things if they don't want their kids ever to be wrong they're never going to learn science or math because no, no. when you learn science or math you're at first going to be wrong 
also the way science and math is taught is weird. And then the other, the other piece of, I think, thinking about science is, is being able to master and express the obvious. Because what we do a lot of times Perfect in the world is, is that we see things that are obvious, but we don't say them because they're obvious. Yeah, we don't recognize them. We don't make them public. We don't recognize yeah. them. We don't say them. We don't verbalize them. So a lot of times right. we don't have the language to, to verbalize those obvious things. But the obvious things are often the foundation. That is the initial conditions and the boundary conditions for whatever problem we're trying to solve. So if we can't express the obvious, we a lot of times have no structure for finding the solutions. I love what you're saying. And, and, and I've got to ask you, you know, part of, so I'm going to share a bias that I have that has really gotten under my skin during this pandemic, because as a scientist, as a guy who studied exercise and sports science, spent time in the anatomy classes, spent time in the biology, the physiology, the exercise physiology, and has had my head buried in scientific books for, and research papers for decades now. Part of what has driven me crazy is that this message that we've given uh, through popular media for so long is that science is science, and that is what it is. And I look at it and I think, oh my gosh, anybody that's saying this has no clue what the hell they're talking about because science is challenged. Science is questioning. Science is observing the obvious and questioning what is. And that, for me, has been one of my most frustrating parts of this entire pandemic. As new information has come out, why have we not looked at it? As information that's come out that doesn't have to do with, uh, let's say, a major narrative that put, that, that's being put out there, why are we not looking to, into that? That's what science is, right? It's exploration of all of these different things. And why would we exclude all of the important scientific discoveries um, I'd love to get your thoughts as a physicist and a scientist um, and an and educator. You know, tell me what you're seeing. Oh, I see so much. Um, I see a lot of, I see a lot of, um, I, I, there's a lot of good science, a lot of things we know about dealing with disease and pandemic. And right, for whatever, right. for political reasons has been set aside. There's a lot of things that we don't know about do it, dealing with disease and pandemic that are important to discuss. Yes. And what yeah. ends up happening is that we end up pitting, it's been so over politicized for reasons I don't even know where that comes from. From I don't, I, I don't like, either. That's the thing gonna, that blows me away. It's I'm not so gonna, I'm, weird. I'm not going to even really address that with my students. I address it. I I I, I do my due diligence in in demonstrating who I am and how I think. And I think we all need to talk about what other people's positions are. Right. As, right. as 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 reasonable or ridiculous as they may be and in a rational way. Yes. So and, and like my students said, well, aren't they injecting microchips into us through the hypodermics? And I said, a microchip mm -hmm. is about half the size of my nail. Right. That would hurt like a motherfucker. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Literally be impossible. We don't have, no, have not to mention the fact that we don't have the our dogs and maybe our, our people with dementia. I'd like yes. that. Yeah. But maybe <laughs> we don't even have the batteries to lost. work for you something. Know, if like I get that. lost and don't have GPS, somebody yeah. should be able to find me. <laughs> right. <laughs> if we have that technology, why the hell would we not use it for many other things? But, and, and you're right. I mean, we should be able to discuss those things, but, but discuss things, them in a scientific way. The, the issue is more that, you know, we've been dismissing science. So there's been a there's been a politic of dismissing science, dismissing science. It doesn't fit what you want it to say. Yes. Since yeah. probably my first scholarly paper I wrote on anything scientific was on global warming in 1986. And mm. in 1986, we knew that 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 one of the worst symptoms of the Earth the change of the temperature of the earth would be coral reef bleaching. Mm, and that okay. was a prediction and that's going on. That's been going on for like 20 years now. And as soon as, as soon as any of these research papers started coming out, the people whose businesses would be most impacted with it started railing against it. Instead yeah, of saying, yeah. um, maybe we need to think about doing things differently. It's this, it's this beholdenness to money, I think, that causes people initially to resist the change. And yeah, then yeah. when they say things and present wrong, and you know, a lot of times, think about when you've held a belief that you found was wrong. How long did you hold on to it before you changed your mind? Oh, it could be years and decades for people, right? If it's something that, if you think about something just simple and and you've been like, I do this this way and this way and this way, and then you find out that you're wrong, Mm -hmm. well, you can still hold out in what you said. And then you've told people all this time. And now you got to, we're not forgiving humans. And I think that that's what's driven this. And this, like, the first thing that we came up with scientifically, I think, that really started pushing back against big money was what was the global warming, the, which is now climate change. And right, that was right. big. That was the biggest money. And and so I think that um, I think that we actually have is that created a situation and that created a paradigm for pushing back against things as opposed to just discussing things like rational people and making a decision based on our best information and people and then i think it's actually been happening earlier than than uh, climate change i agree with climate change i i mean i look at like ansel keys and what ansel keys did as a uh, to fight against all of the research that showed that his information was incorrect. I mean, he he was he would blast true scientists and researchers um, and because it didn't fit his narrative, and he had an agenda. And many people see Ansel Keys as one of the mo- the largest mass murderers in 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 history because of the way that he proposed uh, that the American diet should be. And has since, um, you know, we have built a foundation on his dietetic information. And and now, you know, 
10% of the population is morbidly obese, uh, probably 50% is obese or, or uh, obese, and then 60% is overweight. We're killing people left and right because a person like Ansel Keys and how he, like many people who fight against climate change, did it for an agenda. And we do this. It becomes this dogma. It's just unbelievable and like, so you know, unscientific, right? It goes it, it goes back it goes back it goes back forever. Humans fight against what threatens what they believe. Right. And, and, right. And yeah. so religious dogmas, any type of dogma. Any any yeah. type of dogma. And so yeah. that's really the one rule I have in my classroom is so most of my classes I make to I, I do a unit with them on logical fallacies. So oh, the first great. thing they learn in my great. class is appeal to a higher power is not a reason for us yes. changing anything. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> appeal to a higher power is a logical fallacy that's disallowed in my classroom. Altogether Beautiful. from day one, <laughs> we're not Look at the to logic. a higher power for anything. Yeah. I, I we, love that. we can curse a higher power for things we do. Yes, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we can curse the higher power in a, in a classroom appropriate way <laughs> but if you have higher power we're not there to do that and, and literally i will explain to them that i know people who are very religious who have doctorates in physics who have explained to me how they with their with their fundamentalism uh, can can be not have um existential crisis with their physics and I'll say, if you're having existential problems with your science class, come to me because I'll tell you how, how I know friends who can who, who work it out. We're yeah. not going to do it yeah. here, but I'm happy to share it with you if you're having a problem with it. Because right now great. we're doing science. We're not doing other. We're not doing. We're not doing it with your existential crisis. <laughs> no. No. Well, Elaine, we, we are coming up on our time uh, and, and it's just dawned on me that we haven't even gotten through half the questions that we have written down, <laughs> which we would love to have you come back on. What a, what a fun conversation. Before we wrap up, though, I want to take you through just a few rapid fire questions that okay. we like to ask some of our guests. So uh, um, typically, okay. yeah, typically with these rapid fire questions, it's just one word or one quick phrase uh, for the answer. So you ready to go? I'm, I'm ready to go. All right, so let's talk disruption. How do you disrupt your life in order to spark new growth? Change. Okay. Change. How, how have you evolved over the years? <laughs> uh, wildly for the better. <laughs> A beautiful answer. Uh, as you've evolved, what is something that you used to believe that you no longer do? Mm that everyone can be correct. Ah, beautiful. Final one. Uh, what is one challenge that you have overcome in your process of personal evolution? Uh, I have uh, changed the way that I believe in people. Mm. All right. We're going to have to explore that one on the next uh, episode. Right. Well, yeah, Elaine we have Barnes, to, we have to Lane come back because there's there's a a lot going on that that I wanted to at some point we wanted to talk about that got her to this current place of yeah. math and physics and teaching. So we got to bring Elaine back. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's there's uh, Elaine Barnes 
uh, episode two. <laughs> Coming. Well, it was a pleasure to meet you, Steve. Miles, nice yeah. to see you. You guys had some fancy setup. I hope my I hope I I I don't have any nice microphones or anything. I just have my Mac. No, this but you sound great. clear yeah, and wonderful. You sound great. Yeah. 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 Go it, Go it's Apple. been great to have you on. <laughs> Go Apple. Well, and, and on that note, folks, it is time to wrap up another episode of the Evolve Podcast. We want to thank our guest, Elaine Barnes, and my co-host, W. Miles Riley, for joining us tonight. Uh, we've had a great conversation, and we hope that you, our evolutionary listeners, took something with you that will help you on your personal evolution. So, Elaine, um, I don't know, are you, are you active on social media? If people want to reach out to you to learn more from you, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Oh, goodness. I didn't even spell. Probably my um, my Twitter, which is Libricolaire. It's L-E-B-R-I-C-O-L-E-U-R. And Libricolaire means a person who makes things out of nothing, like my guy. <laughs> I love that. Libricolaire on Twitter. So guys, go follow Elaine so that you can uh, get more of her wisdom. Well, thanks, Elaine, for sharing that. Uh, and Miles, what is new at Evolve? Well, again, you know, we're still highlighting the Evolve Your Soul t-shirt. Again, um, I really love this shirt and I love the message of evolving your soul because your soul is always evolving, even when you are unaware of that evolving. So folks, get on over, pick up one of our great Evolve Your Soul t-shirts and check out the other things that are in this store, cups, mugs, hats, um, just give us a look and uh, pick up something. Thanks, Miles. And hey, guys, uh, do, do me a favor, will you? If you liked this episode, share it with your friends. Your shares help us to uh, spread the uh, the word of the Evolve podcast. We're really grateful for it. The uh, uh, downloads are growing. And so we're grateful for our listeners for listening and sharing. Uh, remember, though, that it does take time and consistency to evolve. But first, you have to disrupt in order to evolve your mind, evolve your body, Evolve your soul and evolve your tribe. You're fantastic, uh, but you know what? Now it's time for you to get out there and evolve. And evolve. <laughs>